We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about the difference maker. The difference maker. Father, I pray that you'd add your anointing to the preaching of your word, that you'd open our ears, our hearts to understand and to receive. Bring positive, powerful, eternal change into hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. You know, when we look in the world around us, there are all kinds of difference makers. The sports world talks about the difference makers who have been on their stage and what a difference they've made. We can talk about people like Michael Jordan and Kobe and LeBron. I do believe Michael Jordan is the GOAT, no doubt about that. We can talk about uh, people in the NFL, people like Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and Joe Montana and Peyton Manning, all who made a tremendous difference for the team they played for. In the business world, we can talk about CEOs like Hubert Jolly, who turned Best Buy around. We can talk about Mary Barra, who turned GM around. We can talk about Lee Iacocca, who turned Chrysler around years ago. My favorite CEO story is when Steve Jobs approached John Scully to be the CEO of Apple Computers. When he was reluctant and hesitant, Jobs said to him, do you mean to tell me you're gonna sell sugar water for the rest of your life when I'm giving you a chance to change the world? Difference makers. They're all around us in every arena and every walk of life. We find it everywhere we look, a difference maker. Each one of these individuals I mentioned, and many that you could also think of and mention as well, are there for a time and a purpose. They have a specific talent to do a specific thing that causes them to be a difference maker. But in our text this morning, The Apostle Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, references Psalm 16 and basically paraphrases it. And he says, Jesus Christ really is the difference maker. Not just for a time, not just for a purpose, but for all time and for all purposes. For every man, woman, boy, and girl, he becomes the difference maker. You can read it throughout Scripture, and you have to come to the place where you realize that Often we point to the cross as the symbol of Christianity, but the cross only makes sense when we can look back upon it. If you were one of those disciples that day on the hillside outside of Jerusalem, and you saw the one you had followed for over three years being hung to that cross and his life fleeing away from him and finally giving up the ghost and dying, the cross made no sense. The cross made no sense to the disciples, but to you and me today, the cross makes perfect sense because we look back upon it and we see it wasn't just the cross, but it was the fact that three days later, he rose again from the dead. It's the resurrection that's a difference maker today. And if you take all the 4,000 religions that are in our world today, and you throw them in the same pot, they're all going to look pretty much the same. Oh, they have a few different practices, a few different ideologies, but the only one that ever stands out is the religion we call Christianity. Because only Jesus not only died, but rose again on the third day. Because he is alive, he is the difference maker for every circumstance and every situation to ever occur in our lives. 
When we look back on the cross, the resurrection puts it in perspective and it allows us to see that on what Satan thought was his grandest day, his greatest victory, his highest achievement, in fact, it became his downfall because Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. He rose again and he is the difference maker. He's the difference maker. I've come to speak to those of you this morning who are in that position in life where you need a word from God. You need something to hang on to. You need something to build your life upon. I've come to tell you about the difference maker. I'm reading this morning from Acts chapter 2 using the Message Bible. If you have an iPhone or an iPad or a device and you have the Message Bible on it, fine. If not, it'll be on the screen. And again, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost to a group of Jews who don't really understand what's going on with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So these are the words he says, fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you, the miracles and wonders and signs that God did through him are common knowledge. This Jesus following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But I like verse 24, because he says, but God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. David said it all, and now he begins to paraphrase Psalm 16. David said it all. I saw God before me for all time. Nothing can shake me. He's right by my side. I'm glad from the inside out, ecstatic. And listen to this phrase. I pitched my tent in the land of hope. I pitched my tent in the land of hope. You may have walked into this place this morning and you're bound, you're discouraged, you're depressed. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe your spouse just walked out. Maybe you're about to lose or just lost your job. Maybe your teenager is in rebellion. Maybe you're wondering, how am I going to make it in retirement with no more funds than I have right now? Maybe you're wondering how you're going to get through today and to tomorrow. Well, David gave us the answer. He said, I have pitched my tent in the land of hope. In this room this morning, I pray that hope comes alive in hearts and lives. I pray that every problem, every obstacle, everything that is against you suddenly comes into clear, sharp focus because you pitched your tent in the land of hope. You see the cross looking back from the resurrection and you know nothing is going to destroy you. You're a child of the living God. I pitched my tent in the land of hope. I love that phrase and I love the way that Peter paraphrased it from that particular passage of scripture. In the 1930s, there were three psychologists, psychiatrists actually, living in Vienna. Two were very well known, the other was just a startup, a fledgling. And they all three had different opinions on what it was that made that man tick and drove human behavior. The first one you've all heard of, Sigmund Freud. And through his studies of human behavior, he determined that what drove you and I as human beings was a desire for pleasure. That was the main thing in our lives that pushed us forward was a desire for pleasure. The second one was Alfred Adler. 
He had a different view. He disagreed with Floyd because from his studies, he believed what drove human behavior was a desire and a quest for power, for power. And then there was a third young man by the name of Viktor Frankl. And before his career really began and gained any momentum, World War II broke out and Hitler invaded Austria. Now, because Freud and Adler were very well known around the world, they were able to escape ahead of the invasion, but Frankel wasn't so fortunate. As a result, he was arrested. He spent four years in a Nazi concentration camp. And during that time, he began to develop what he believed was the motivation for human behavior. He said, I reflected on it, and I realized that the people I expected to survive, the strongest, the fittest, didn't. They passed away. Often it was those who were weaker, who were not physically able, who actually survived that ordeal. And he began wondering, what is it that helped them through that living hell? He thought about what Freud said. He said Freud said, it's all about pleasure. But for four years, these men knew no pleasure, only pain and suffering and degradation. Pleasure wasn't even their vocabulary. It wasn't pleasure that kept these survivors going. And then he thought about what his friend Adler said in his theory of power. And he realized that couldn't be true either because these Jews were completely powerless in the concentration camp. They had a gun in their face every day. They felt the jackboots on their bodies on a regular basis. So it couldn't have been power. He determined the difference between those who survived and those who perished during that period of time was one word, and that word was hope. They had hope for a better tomorrow. They had hope that things were going to change. They had hope that one day they would be able to live meaningful, purposeful lives. They had hope. And that tells us that really hope really is what brings meaning into our lives. And that's what the resurrection is all about. It brings hope to you and me. Oh, we don't worship at a cemetery, aren't you glad? We don't worship at a tomb. I don't have to visit a place like Mecca in order to worship my Savior or my prophet, but rather he is ever present because no longer is he dead, he is alive again and living within you and me. Because of his resurrection, we have hope. May I say it to you this way? If our lives look just like the lives of those out there who don't know Jesus, those who haven't experienced grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, if our lives show no differences whatsoever, then we've got something wrong. Because the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection is designed at its very root to bring hope into our lives, to bring change into our lives. What did they say of the early church? They said, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. Oh, I'm looking for some folks today who'll say, I live with hope. And as a result, I can turn the world upside down. I can live counterculturally. I can live in the face of that which is evil and shine as a bright light. Oh, come on, church. It's time to live in hope. It's time to live in hope, to pitch your tent in the land of hope. See, anytime we begin to live with the hope that Jesus has, our lives are inverted. So I'm not sure I understand that. Well, Jesus said, in order to live, we die. He said, in order to gain, we give. He said, in order to be free, we become servants. 
He said, in order to be first, we become last. It's an inversion of man's philosophies and principles that brings hope into our lives and allows us to live differently from those around us. It's all about hope, church. David said it, I pitched my tent in the land of hope. Our faith is based upon the living hope that Jesus Christ really is alive. Skeptics doubt it, dispute it, argue it. Why are you arguing with history? The Romans record the fact that they killed Jesus of Nazareth. And then three days later, according to them, somebody stole his body. The Jews record the fact that Jesus did walk in Israel. He did many miracles. He was crucified, and then somebody stole his body. But the Bible records the fact that, yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He came and lived a sinless life. He did many, many miracles. He died on the cross as the substitute for our punishment and our sin. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Let history prove to you Jesus is alive. He appeared to a few and then he appeared to as many as 500 after his resurrection. Eyewitnesses to the fact that the one they put in the grave came out of the grave and didn't stay dead, but rather came out and conquered hell, death, and the grave. Oh, somebody be excited for the hope that's in us. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Every aspect of our life as believers should be based on that hope. That because Jesus rose from the dead, I will too conquer everything that comes into my path. There is nothing that can defeat the child of God when we live in that place of hope. Because of that, Jesus becomes the difference maker in our lives. Because of the resurrection, we can look past today and we can look into eternity. See, when we don't live with hope, when we don't pitch our tent in the land of hope, Often all we see is what's right in front of our face. The problems, the culture, the issues, the lack of funds, on and on we can go. What we're facing and dealing with every day. But when we live in the land of hope, our, our vision is elevated. We begin to see through the eternity and understand that God has prepared a place for you and me. Oh, listen to me. If this were just about today, if you're gonna die, and turn to dust and the worms eat your body and that's the end, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be sitting on a mountainside in Colorado sipping coffee this morning. I would not be doing this. I would not put up with the junk and the garbage, the hassle that I put up with on a regular basis, but I'm here and I tolerate it, I endure it because I know heaven is real and it's there for our gain and hell is real and it's there for us to shun. Listen, if we don't understand eternity, we don't have hope. My hope is not in this life. My hope is in the life that God has prepared for us throughout all of eternity. Not long ago, someone said to me, I really didn't plan to say this, but I think I should. It may be time for you to leave because you've been here five and a half years and the church hasn't grown as it should. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I don't know. But you know what? In that moment, I was able to look them square in the eye 
and say, but I am living in the land of hope and I am looking to the day when the Spirit of God fills this room with people seeking Him, with people hungry for Him. Our city is dying and perishing, held in the grip of Satan. It's time for somebody to say, I'm not going to judge my behavior on what I see, but I'm going to judge it on what I know. And I'm living in the land of hope. I'm living in the land of hope. Oh, come on, folks. You'll have people whispering in your ear all the time. Why do you keep doing that? Why don't you just give up? It's really not worth it. Dell, I'm speaking to you. Sometime in the next few weeks, somebody's going to say to you, that money's not going to come in. You must not have heard from God. That's not his plan for your life. In that moment, you need to stand up, square your shoulders, and you say to them, I live in the land of hope. And what my God has promised, my God will perform. You got to live in the land of hope. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. Don't allow the naysayers to discourage you, to distract you. Oh, I know it's easy. I understand that. I understand that. We deal with that every day. Right now we're in a battle with the plaza that I just want to throw up my hands, but God said, I've got a plan. Oh, come on, church. It's time to pitch your tent in the land of hope. To understand that God's going to do good things in you and through you when you hang on to him. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17? Let me find it and I'll read it for you. He said these words to his disciples in John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. What's he saying? I'm going to let you pitch your tent in the land of hope. The Holy Spirit of the living God is going to infuse you. He's going to lead you, guide you, and direct you. He's going to quiet the mouth of the naysayers, and he's going to say, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Come on, pitch your tent in the land of hope. Don't give up on God. So many times we misunderstand what's happening in the spiritual realm. If you're full of the Holy Spirit and people are always after you, giving you a hard time, saying things about you, trying to destroy you, understand it's probably not them, but it's the demons in them that are agitated by the Spirit of God that's in you. So when that happens to me, it happened just this morning at 7 a.m., you know what I said? I pitched my tent in the land of hope and I don't care if the God in me is bothering you, you need to let God set you free or get out of my face. Come on, church, pitch your tent in the land of hope. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. Don't allow the devil's nonsense to steal your joy, to rob your peace, to put you in a place of disquiet. But pitch your tent in the land of hope and know that the Holy Spirit will be there with you. He'll walk through you. And yes, his presence in you probably will bother the demons in some other folks, but that's what's supposed to happen. The believer who thinks I can live this life without ever having any controversy, without ever having any opposition, I'll be nice, is blind and doesn't understand the word of God. Jesus said, why are you surprised when the world hates you? They hated me before they hated you. 
We need to understand that it's a part of life. We're in a fight. We're in a battle. And what causes us to win the battle is we pitched our tent in the land of hope. And we know tomorrow won't be like today. And eternity won't be like this earth. And God has prepared a place for you and me. Come on. John 14, 1, what did Jesus say? Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Did you hear what he said? When you pitch your tent in the land of hope, this is not the end. When this physical body wears out, when I breathe my last breath, it's not the end. Oh, hear me, folks. It's just the beginning. I'm just stepping over into the destiny God created for me before the world began because I know him as my Lord and Savior because I'm a son of the Most High God. Not because some church told me there's a heaven but because I know it because I live in the land of hope I pitched my tent in the land of hope Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 he's actually paraphrasing Isaiah 64 4 and Isaiah 65 17 with this statement it is written I have not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him but God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things even the deep things of God how do I know there's a heaven the Holy Spirit's revealed it how do I know the promise is real? His Holy Spirit has revealed it. Oh, come on, folks. To emerge yourself in the Word. Begin to hear the voice of God speak to you, and you will move from a land of desperation to a land of hope. You'll move from a land of discouragement to a land of hope. You'll move from a land of defeat to a land of hope. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. The difference in Jesus' followers and every other religious person on the planet is we pitched our tent in the land of hope. We believe that because he died and rose again, every promise he has spoken is true. You can turn to Psalm chapter 16. I want to give you the background of Peter's statement. Why he said what he said when he said it. See, in Psalm 16, David writes this at a time when he's running from Saul. Saul has decided to kill him because you know the backstory. Saul was rejected as king over Israel. Samuel anointed David to be the new king over Israel. Only problem, Saul didn't give up the throne. And when the Israelites begin to sing about David, Saul is kid is thousands, but David is ten thousands. When they begin to adore him and raise him to a level of leadership, Saul became jealous, angry, and determined to kill him. So David fled for his life. And in the scripture, he's in the wilderness, and Saul is coming for him. Matter of fact, when you read the history, Saul had him surrounded. This was going to be the end of David. He was going to die in the wilderness. But then it says a messenger came to Saul. You can read it. It's 1 Samuel chapter 24. A messenger came to Saul and told him the Philistines had invaded the land. So he and his armies pulled away from David to go fight the Philistines, the enemy. And in that passage, in that, in that circumstance, 
David penned these words from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. You know what he was saying? I'm surrounded by the enemy. I'm surrounded by men who mean to take my head and kill me. But God, in this circumstance, preserve me. Have you ever been there where you feel surrounded? Have you ever been there when you feel like death is imminent, that your demise is coming? In that time, pray as David prayed, preserve me, O God. And then he goes on to say, O Lord, in verse 5, you are the portion of my inheritance, my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in a pleasant and pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. What was he doing? He was pitching his tent in the land of hope. I may be surrounded by men wanting to kill me, but God, I remember I have an inheritance. You have made my life pleasant. You have a plan for me. I'm not going to forget it. I'm not going to forsake it. I'm going to call upon the Lord to do that in me again. And look on down to verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, and my flesh also will rest in hope. That's what Peter paraphrased with this statement, and I pitch my tent in the land of hope. He's saying in one of David's darkest days, when he didn't think he was going to survive, when he didn't think he was going to live, there came hope into his soul because he cried out to the Lord. He said, preserve me, O Lord. He recalled the blessings of God that were over his life and the plan of God for his life. And then he said, I pitched my tent in the land of hope. You may not be able to make the jump from where you're at to the land of hope like that, but it can happen if you begin to bless the Lord, if you begin to worship the King, if you begin to remind yourself of all that God has in store for you, every plan that he's laid before you. Oh, listen, when you come to that place where you pitch your tent in the land of hope, addiction will not stand. I'm talking to somebody in this room today. You fought with addiction for years, alcohol or drugs or pornography. I'm telling you today can be the day that that's broken once and for all. If you choose to say, preserve me, O Lord. I know you got a plan for my life and I'm gonna pitch my tent in the land of hope. If you'll take that step today and begin walking through that process, then you're gonna be amazed at what God does in you and through you. It's amazing. Maybe you're in that relationship that is splintered and broken and you don't want to give it up. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. Begin to bless the Lord. Oh, come on, quit relying on that spouse and start relying upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let God be your spouse and watch what happens in that other individual. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. Don't fold your tent and give up in defeat. But pitch your tent. Drive the stakes deep. Make it the place where you anchor. The place where you say, this is my line in the sand. I'm living in hope. And devil, you are not powerful enough to destroy me. Someone needs to get that in their spirit today. Someone needs to rise up today and say to the enemy, you've lied for me too long. And I believed you for too long. I've accepted your lies for too long. I am not a loser. I am not a washout. I am not a reject. I am not a second-class 
citizen in the kingdom of God. I am a born-again child of the living God. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and I can live where God wants me to live, as God wants me to live, and accomplish what God has set before me to accomplish. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. In that psalm, where David was running from Saul and Saul was about to destroy him and then God brought a miraculous, amazing deliverance. David penned these words. But then when you continue to read 1 Samuel chapter 24, 25, 26, you'll see that when David was in the wilderness, when he was trying to survive and preserve his physical life as well as the anointing that was on him, time and again, God sent people into his life to speak a word of encouragement. You can read the story, I believe it's in chapter 25, where Nabal, David had, had their, his sheep herders and his flocks in the wilderness with them, and David has men protected Nabal's possessions. When they took the flocks back home, then David and his men went and they asked Nabal if he wouldn't give them some supplies, some provisions. And because the old man was a fool, he rebuked him and told him to leave. It's not a wise thing to do to David. So David said, no problem, we'll just destroy you and take what we want. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, heard about what had happened. And before David and his men could get there to destroy them, she intercepted them on the way. And she brought loads of provisions. And she encouraged David. She apologized for the behavior of her husband. And you can read it in these words, 1 Samuel 25, 28 through 29. From the message, she says to David, forgive my presumption. God is at work in you. My master fights God's battles. And as long as you live, no evil will stick to you. In other words, the words of my crazy husband aren't going to do you in. God is taking care of you. If anyone stands in your way, she said, if anyone tries to get you out of the way, know this, your God-honored life is tightly bound in the bundle of God-protected life. Your enemies will be hurled aside as a stone is thrown from the sling. Oh, she came and she spoke a word into David's heart that said, David, don't listen to the naysayer. Don't listen to the evil one. Don't listen to that fool Nabal, my husband, but listen to the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord says, I've got a plan for your life. The word of the Lord says, I'm watching over you. The word of the Lord says, I'm protecting you. The word of the Lord says, your enemies will be your footstool. Oh, somebody Rise up and pitch your tent in the land of hope. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. Tom, would you come back? People give up when there's no hope. People give up when there's no sense of tomorrow. When we can't see past the problems of today. But biblical hope, which is what I'm talking to you about this morning. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, listen to me, it not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. Expects it to happen. Do you expect God to do good things for you? And if you don't, why not? Because my Bible says he's in that business. He is in that business. He does good things. Good things. 
for those who love him and serve him. I look around us today. Our culture is filled with problems. We have an opioid crisis created by a lack of hope, by the way. Created by no way out, by the way. We have human trafficking crises. We have gangs and drugs and violence and crazy politicians. All of it sitting there trying to rob our hope. But I've come to tell you, in the midst of a crazy world, God has called believers to live an upside-down life filled with hope, filled with promise, filled with belief that God will make things better. We live in a world that has no hope. He's asking you and I today to be agents of His hope. To open and declare, I pitched my tent in the land of hope. And it doesn't matter what I see. My view goes deeper. My view goes higher than what's right in front of me. And I know there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I will not leave that place of hope. Hope. Our world creates hopeless situations. Someone said to me, what do you think about socialism? I would say to you folks back east, you need to go to an Indian reservation. It's the greatest example of failed socialism in the United States of America. Do you realize the alcoholism rate on the reservations across the West is 514% higher than the rest of our population? Do you realize that Native American young men, teens, Indian young men, commit suicide at twice the rate? of their peers and other population groups. You talk about a place of no hope, that's a place of no hope. They have no idea what tomorrow holds. They don't have electricity, running water many times. There is no hope, no jobs, no opportunity, no change, no hope. You talk about other places our culture has created situations where there are no hope. I'm going to step on some toes this morning, so pull your feet back in. Our culture has bought the lie that there are more than two genders. And that people should be able to choose whether they're male or female. Now the Bible says God created them male and female. And if you'll read what the sociologists and the psychiatrists are telling us today, I'm going to read a study that was printed in the American Academy of Pediatrics, October of last year, volume 142, issue 4. The title was Transgender Adolescent Suicide Behavior. The authors of the study said our primary objective was to examine prevalent rates of suicide across six gender identity groups. Female, male, transgender, male to female, transgender, female to male, transgender, not exclusively male or female, and questioning. And what they discovered is in that group those who identified from female to male reported a 50.8% higher rate of suicide than their peers. They discovered those who identified as male to female reported a 29.9% higher rate of suicide than their peers. Listen to me. God created man and woman, male and female. 
It's the devil and his crazies who've dreamt up all this nonsense trying to convince people you don't know who you are. If you don't know Jesus, you probably don't. But the answer is not transgender. The answer is Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, somebody. It's time the church rose up and said, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And we know it because it's destroying lives. You always know the devil's lives, lies because it always brings destruction. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you just see destruction happening in culture, that's not man, that's the devil at work. Understand that, know it, and then fight against it in the spiritual realm. I'm not saying you've got to look every transgender person in the eye and tell them you're going to hell. No, you need to tell them Jesus loves you. He has a better way. There is an answer. There is hope. Come on, pitch your tent in the land of hope. I'm not saying look every drug addict in the eye and tell him he's going to go through rehab for 37 years and maybe eight times later he'll be okay. No, tell him to pitch your tent in the land of hope because there is a Jesus who saves and delivers and sets men free. Oh, come on, church, stand to your feet. Today, it's time to pitch your tent in the land of hope. The only difference maker is Jesus Christ. Sing it out, Tom. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.